ever had that moment when you're at like a grocery store or a mall and you look up and you see someone that you vaguely recognize but you can't quite place them you're not like entirely certain how you know them but you know that you kind of know them there's a little bit of vague recognition there and all the while that you're doing this detective work in your head to figure it out you realize you're staring at them and they look at you and then you're forced to be like hey it's good to see ya Right? And sometimes you can tell when someone looks at you with some faint recognition, but you don't know the, them, and, and you know that they're not entirely certain how they don't know you, and, and sometimes you'll just, both parties are too afraid to say anything, so they'll just find themselves in conversation with one another. How you doing? I'm so good. How's the family? Just great. I've had those conversations, and the person has walked away, and one of my kids has asked me, so who is that? I don't know. I, I don't know, right? It's, sometimes if you're lucky, you'll remember it, a few days later, and you'll be like, oh, right, them, I know that's, I played ball against them, or that's the girl from Starbucks, or whatever it is, and, and you figure it out, but it, it's far too late, moment of transparency, you and I may have had that interaction at some point. Uh, sorry, uh, and, and it happens wherever I go, I seem to have people that nod their head, or wave their hand, or whatever it is at me, and I will always respond and I will always say things back regardless of whether or not I know you. I just assume that you go to Crosspoint. Anyone who says hi to me in public, I just assume they go to Crosspoint. Everyone in Fredericton goes to Crosspoint. And so it just makes it easier that way. Uh, and, and maybe you've had similar experiences and, and you've tried to figure out who these names and faces are and how they kind of go together and it all gets jumbled up. And, uh, and, and maybe even that has happened to you here at church and, and you've made that dreaded lobby mistake where you see someone and you ask them, hey, is this your first time here? And they answer, I've been coming for four months. And you're like, I thought I recognized you. I know. Let's all admit that we have a little bit of a hard time with faces and names and people. And, and it's understandable because we have a lot of people to keep track of. You've got your own neighborhood, the people on your street, the people at your work, the people at your school. You've got your, your doctor's office, and you've got your kids' teachers, and your coworkers, and your sports teams, and your church friends, and the people at the gym, and the people at the coffee shop. And, and it's no wonder that we have a hard time trying to manage all of those faces and names and keeping track of who everybody is. And I think that to some degree, social media has really only kind of exacerbated that. And, and, and because then you've got all kinds of people connecting with you online. You get a friend request from someone on Facebook, and I have no idea who this person is, but I got 42 mutual friends, so I must know them. And you click accept, and, and then you start going through their posts and their pictures, and you're like, I don't know them. I have no idea who this person is. But I got another friend. 
And you see people, I know people, I'm friends with people online who have like 3,812 Facebook friends. I'm like, I don't, I've never met that many humans. Like, how, how can you be friends with that many people online? And it's, it's just hard to keep track of. And we've got all these links, we've got all these connections, all these acquaintances, all these relationships, all these friends offline and online, people locally, people who live far away from us that, you know, we, we saw once in our life seven years ago, but we're Facebook friends. We've never been more connected. And perhaps we've never been more alone. And uh, it's an interesting thing. I read a, an article this week by a psychologist who works at a university in the UK who collected all of this recent data within the last couple of years. And, and, and what she discovered is that social loneliness is becoming one of the major so social health issues of our day, only behind obesity and substance abuse. Social isolation. And she said, it's this growing trend. And, and she said this line, and it, it kind of shocked me initially. And she said, social pain is as real for us as physical pain. And, and they've actually done the research, and they figured out that, that the feelings of loneliness and rejection that we experience actually come from the same part of the brain that physical pain comes from. It's the same kind of activator that is in your head. So the next time someone says, sticks and tones can break your bones, names will never hurt me, you can push your glasses up and be like, actually, it's the dorsal anterior singular cortex of my brain that is triggered in both of those events. <laughs> and you get to say that. This has always been true of humanity. It's not that this is just new in, in 2018, but there's something about the way that we have structured our modern lives that seems to be making it worse. And, and we're almost worse at connections than we ever have been. Relationships seem to be more superficial than authentic. They, they seem to be less rewarding, at least statistically, according to the data. Something is wrong. Something is wrong with the way that we interact with one another socially, the way that we befriend one another and meet one another and connect as humans. And it's hard for, for us to, to hear that, and it's even harder for us to experience that, whether it's in your, uh, your homes or your neighborhoods or your workplaces or your schools. Uh, what's even harder to hear is that people feel that way in church. That's hard. And, and I think that's hard to hear because places like school and your workplace, they don't exist as one of their main tenants as an organization that is to build relationships. It's not the purpose behind their existence. If it happens there, it's a bonus. At school, you should meet friends and you should build relationships. That's wonderful. But if a school focused on it to such a degree that all of the kids were failing, there would be people thinking, I'm a little concerned about that. That's not the point of a school. The problem is that that's kind of the point of the church. One of the major tenets of the church is that we would learn how to be community, that we would be a family, that we would be building relationships with one another. And if you went to a church that valued all kinds of other things, whether it be production or whether it be kids ministry or whether it be the service, and, and all of those things happen and they happened well, but they happened at the expense of biblical community, people would probably be going, I'm a little concerned about that. Just like a school who focused on relationships, they focused on a good thing, but not the most important thing. And like a church who would be focused on all kinds of good things, but missing out on the most important thing, there's a problem there. The church should get community. The church should get connections. 
I want to talk about community today. And uh, last week we talked about our vision for this year at Crosspoint, and we talked about how it's going to be a year where we pursue and we strive for health. It comes from 1 Thessalonians 5.23, where, where the author writes, and the God of peace, may he make you holy and whole in every way, in your soul, in your mind, and in your body. That is the picture of health that we are striving for this year. It's a picture of completeness and of peace, of wholeness. And uh, if you haven't watched it and you're a part of the Crosspoint family, I would love for you to watch it. I would love for you to get caught up in that because it's really going to serve as the framework for the way that we live this year and for the, the reason behind a lot of the decisions that we're making. And we talked about how the why and the how of the church are two very different things. And, and, and we can't be a church that focuses only on the how at the expense of the why. We talked about column A and column B. And the column B stuff are the actual commands that God gives his church that need to take precedence over everything else. And community is a column B item. This is one of those things that biblically, as the church, we need to get this right. Um, it's all through Scripture. The way that God spoke about his church, the way that God commanded his church to live, it was things like, you need to love one another the way that I have loved you. You need to bear one another's burdens. You should be praying for one another. You should be sharing with one another, making sure that there isn't anyone who's in need. You should be laying hands on one another and praying for one another. He talks about the church frequently as if we are a family, calls us brothers and sisters, that we're a family together. The, the, the Bible frequently refers to us as a body, that, that we are all part of a larger body, and we all have our own role to play as part of that body. The church should be where we utilize our spiritual gifts to help one another, to encourage one another, that we would be washing one another's feet is the picture that, that Jesus gave his disciples, that we would serve one another. There's a verse in scripture that says, you should consider others as better than yourself. This is the nitty-gritty command on the church to be community together. That's what it looks like. That, that's how it happens. The big important question of the day is, is that how we look at Crosspoint? Do we look like the biblical picture of community? Are we, are we accomplishing that? Or are there too many people feeling disconnected and left out or alienated or alone? Are there people who have been coming here for years that still don't feel like they're part of the family the answer, obviously, is yes. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about it. We'd be able to skim this one over, and it'd be fine. Um, but we're going to talk about it tonight. I, I don't believe that we will achieve the level of health and wholeness that we are pursuing as a church if we don't get better at authentic community. I, I think they're going to go hand in hand. And now, it's not only going to be about us specifically today. I think this is a bigger picture kingdom issue that lots of churches need to work through and, and, and get better at. Um, and, and it's not really just about being good at community. It's about understanding what it is and why it matters and, and the way that that ends up looking. And, and one of the other issues is that has the modern church made it possible for people to show up at a church and slip into service and then slip out and feel like that's fine? Right? That, that's good enough community for me. And, and I think either extreme is wrong. I think either extreme misses the boat. I, I think it's unfortunate that people could come to a church for any amount of time and not feel like they're part of that community. I also think it's equally damaging for people to show up at a church just for service and leave feeling like they don't need any community beyond that. 
I think they're two opposite ends of the spectrum, but they're both equally missing the point of community. I think it's safe to say that it's possible to draw a crowd, but not have it be community. A crowd and a community are not the same thing. And uh, it doesn't mean, you know, that, it, that it's not happened. You know, a crowd can have community. A crowd can work towards community. They're just not the same thing. And I'm not interested in simply having a crowd at the expense of having community. What I want for our church is that we would understand and strive for and seek what community is, that we would live it out, that we would pursue it like it matters. The sense of community at Crosspoint, for me, for our staff team, I think is one of the most important and pressing issues for our church this year. And I am eager to focus on this, to work at this, to pray about this, and to get our church into a place where uh, I believe that we are accomplishing what biblical community looks like. We are not going to figure it out today. We, we are not going to solve all of those problems today. We are not going to unveil, here's the five-step process for how that's going to happen. We don't have time to do that. Basically, today will be a preface of a much larger book. It'll be the introduction where we talk about, all right, here's why this matters. Here's some ways that we're gonna seek this out and then we're gonna work at it for the whole rest of the year. So, are you ready to talk community? We good? Okay. Um, the first thing we need to know about community is that it's really hard. Community is a challenge. Community is complicated. Pursuing biblical community is not for the faint of heart. And for everyone who says, man, I just wish we were better at biblical community, brace yourself if that's what you want. Because it's going to require a lot from everybody to help make that happen. Uh, it, it's hard. Perhaps that's why we settle for drawing a crowd. Because drawing a crowd is easier. It's less painful. It's a little bit more measurable. And, and building authentic community is actually a little bit difficult. It requires sacrifice. There might be pain and it might get messy. So why is community so hard? I think one reason community is so hard is because it looks completely different to everybody. I think community looks different to everyone. You, you could ask 10 people what their picture of healthy community looks like, and I'm sure that you could get 10 different answers. We've all got our own idea as to what healthy community looks like. Some people think community looks a lot like care, care for one another, visit one another, pray for one another, take care of one another, whereas other people think, no, it's about sharing similar interests, and you're going to be with the people who are like you, and they believe like you, and they act like you, and, and, and so it's, we're, we're going to be the, the community that focuses on this, that, or the other thing. Some people think community is really theology, and you're only going to meet with the people who have a, at least a rough understanding of your theology, and so I'm not going to go to the Pentecostal church because they're tongues and all that kind of stuff, and I'm not going to go to a Baptist church, their view of women in ministry. I'm not going to go to a Wesleyan church because, well, no, we got to all together, but we're, right, there are people who think, no, community is theology, community is about a belief system, and then there's other people who think community is found in events, you've constantly got to be together, doing things together, that, that's what community looks like, is it any wonder we have a hard time with community when we can't even agree on what it is? We've all got our own picture as to what healthy community looks like and how it should be experienced. And that's why you can get people who say, oh man, my church is so good at community, or my church is so bad at community, or my church is doing okay at community, and they can all go to the same church. How is that possible? Because everyone thinks differently about it. 
We, we've got our own viewpoint. We've got our own opinion on how community should look like. So here's what I'll say to this. Be careful not to assume that your picture of community is the only right one. Because it's different for everyone. Don't assume that the way that you think community should be is the only way community should be. Everyone experiences it differently. Another reason community is hard is because it's directly tied to our personalities and to our identities. We bring into the community whoever we are, the way that we think, the way that we feel, and the way that we act. We're all bringing, we all view the world through a certain lens, and that lens is created because of our backgrounds, because of things that have happened to us, because of relationships we've been in, because of all, all these things. And so we see life a different way. We're wired a different way. And so an introvert is going to desire something in community that looks wildly different than what an extrovert is desiring in community. Truth? Right? We're, we're all going to experience that in a different way. And, and, and in fact, Two people could experience the same event in community and have it make them feel a completely different way, right? That, that time, that one minute that we give you guys to shake hands in church, man, there are some people who live for it. I'm going to walk across the sanctuary and I'm going to shake 48 hands and I'm going to invite everyone over to church after. It's going to be great. And there are some people who I firmly believe get their coffee late to avoid the whole thing. It's the same event, but people are feeling very differently about the same event. How is that possible? Because we're bringing our own personalities and identities into how we believe communities should feel. And, and, and this gets even tied to how we think about ourselves, the way that we believe about ourselves. Uh, there are people who are very guarded in their social interactions, and perhaps other people look at them and think, well, they are cold and distant. They are unapproachable and, and hard to read, but maybe they've got reasons for that. Maybe they've been burned before. Maybe it's a family issue, a parenting issue, a relationship issue, whatever the case is, but it's led them to view relationships with suspicion. So community for them is going to be a much slower, cautious process. Whereas some people, every, they just assume the best about everyone, and everyone wants to be their best friend, and they're warm and approachable and just natural at it, and, and, and so they're going to approach community and experience it completely differently. And so again, to this point, I would say, um, whatever you are experiencing in, in terms of community is what you're experiencing but it's not necessarily what everyone else is experiencing. Does that make sense? It's no less authentic than your community experience. And so self-awareness is actually a pretty huge part of community. And you've kind of got to know your own self. And sometimes I think before we jump right into unity, before we jump right into being a part of this community, sometimes I think we actually need a more healthy view of, of how we even think about ourselves. Which is not, this is not like weirdo psychology class time. This is good biblical stuff. Psalm 139.23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. In other words, God, help me see what's inside of me because sometimes I don't. Help me see if there's things in my life that actually are going to lead me down a, a bad path or the wrong path because sometimes I got a blind spot and I'm going to miss it. God, would you kind of search out the things in my head that I'm missing sometimes because of the way I think? And so the, the, you are all viewing community through a very different lens. 
and it's based on the way you think and believe about yourself, the way you're wired, your personality. So, so we got to put all that stuff together, take 500 cross pointers with their own ideas, their own expectations, their own personalities and their identities, and hand all that stuff to a pastor and say, here, do community right. Okay. That's hard. Community is a challenge. It is complicated for many reasons, but it is absolutely worth it. And, and it's, it's not even just worth it, it's commanded. We have to pursue it. This is what God told his church to do. I mean, we listed off 10 or 12 verses of things that the church should be doing in their pursuit of community and how that's supposed to look and be. But there's a couple of verses I want to focus on today that I think give us a really good, healthy picture of what community can look like. It's in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. And it says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but let's encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I love this picture of the church. And, and, and this is the big church, big C church. This is all of us. And, and you got to think about for them, especially back then, who that was. Their picture of church, well, that was men and women together. That was hugely scandalous back then took people a long time to come around on some of that stuff. That was Jews and Gentiles together. That was a massive issue for people. Even, even half the guys who wrote the New Testament had a hard time with that one. It, it was adults and children together. If you remember, the disciples wanted to kick the kids out, and Jesus was like, no, they're fine. You should have faith like a child. There, there was an issue for people. There, there was highly educated people that, that were kind of in the same family group as incredibly poor people that there was cultural issues, there was relational issues, the way that everyone believed and worked together. There was super religious people like Pharisees, like Paul, mixed with people who, who were just utter pagans the day before and then decided to follow Jesus. All of them are now together as the church under the banner of Christ with the same goal. It is a big, messy, chaotic family. That's what community looks like. And sometimes I think we really romanticize that picture of the early church that we see in the book of Acts where like everyone was gathered together under one roof and they broke bread and they worshiped and it was just beautiful. But we, we, we forget that's like three verses. If you read the rest of Acts, if you read Corinthians, if you read Galatians, it was a disaster. It, it was not this just wonderfully blissful, peaceful picture of the church. Most of the letters in the New Testament were trying to work out issues directly related to how dysfunctional the community of the church was. So, so don't over-romanticize the early church. They, they were as messed up as we are. They had as much going on as, as we do today. And, and so they were fighting all the time. There was racism. There was sexism. There was theological debates. It, it was pretty crazy. So in other words, it was a lot of people with different ideas and expectations and personalities and identities that were under the same banner of Jesus Christ. And Hebrews says, here's how it can look. That you can take all of those people together and have them love one another, motivate one another, encourage one another, all under the same mission of Jesus Christ. It's possible to have community even in the middle of all that chaos. It's possible. And so it's going to be messy. It's going to take some deliberation. It's going to have some disagreements. It's going to constantly need to be worked out. You understand that even the churches who are phenomenal at community don't get it perfect. 
We will not experience perfect community until we get to heaven. Doesn't mean we shouldn't try for it while we're here. But there's always going to be work. It's always going to be messy. It's always going to require sacrifice. We're not ever going to reach the point where we're like, okay, good, we accomplished that. Next. That this is going to be an ongoing thing that the church has to continually strive for. So a few, few thoughts on those verses that I want us to notice. One is that you can see in those verses that everybody was responsible for community. Everybody. It was something that the whole church was involved in. They, they were thinking of ways to motivate one another. They were encouraging one another. There, there wasn't any kind of loophole or asterisks where, except for this group of people, it was everybody involved. Building community is a community effort. It requires everyone to play a part. In other words, you can't sit back passively and just hope that your church will do community for you. You can't just take a back seat and hope that your church figures out community in a way that you are pleased with and it will happen for you. Community will never happen for you passively. You've got to play a part. Everyone plays a role in this. A church can't just hand community to a staff team and say, figure this out. Five people can't do community for 500. Right? Good. Okay. Because it won't work. We can't manufacture community for all of you. We can't force community on all of you, especially if there are people who are not interested or whatever the case might be. So remember, the biblical mandate on the church as pastors in Ephesians 4.12 is that we would be equipping God's people for the works of service so the church can be built up. In other words, our job is to empower and equip you so that you can be community and do community in your church. In other words, five people can never accomplish community for 500. The goal is that we would be helping all of you because 500 people can accomplish community for 500. So, so it's a role that we play in, in empowering and equipping and releasing people to understand, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. This is what it looks like. But, it, but I can't do community for you. We all have to do this together. We all have to play a role. And so be careful to not whine about, well, I'm just not experiencing community as if it's only someone else's fault. Okay? Am I allowed to say that? We all have to play a part. Second thing we can see from this verse in Hebrews is that community is not just an event. It's not just a ministry. Um, community was the way that they were. It's not just something that they did. Um, so, so, in other words, we need to start thinking about community as if it's something much larger than just an organized event or an organized ministry. That's not necessarily what community is. You can't reduce it down to a ministry or an event. Or you could say it like this, true biblical authentic community is what's happening in between all of the events. Right? It's not just when we're doing ministry together as a church, but it's what you're doing outside of all of those calendar events. So in other words, who are we when there's no one organizing a ministry? Who are we when there's not a sign-up sheet that I have to go put my name on? Who are we when we're not engaged with a church event that happens to be on the calendar? That's when community happens. 
That's what it looks like. It's in the spaces between the events. And, and sometimes I think we equate community with ministry, and, and a lot of times it boils down to something like small group ministry. If I were to ask 100 pastors, how do you improve community at your church, they would, I, would, I would get 100 different recommendations about small group ministry. Right? It's almost like, all right, this is the way. This is how you do it. And small group ministry is good. I think there's lots of churches that do small group ministry well. Um, but you can do small group ministry well and still not have community. For some people, small group ministry looks like the same 8 to 10 people who have been in the same group for 14 years still hanging out together on a weekly basis and calling it a small group. It might be a small group, but it's not building community. So maybe, maybe to some degree we've got it backwards. And instead of trying to force or create community with small groups, we need to figure out how to build community and then naturally see people turn it into smaller groups. I think that's maybe the goal. Because let's be honest, in a church our size and the way we're structured with four services and two different campuses, you are not going to be in deep community with everyone. That can't be your expectation of community at Crosspoint. You are not going to be in deep relationship with everyone that comes to this church. Um, you're only ever really going to connect with a smaller circle of people. And so that, that's okay. And, and that doesn't mean that we're not all family together. It doesn't mean that we're not all brothers and sisters under the, you know, the, the, the big church kind of picture here. But the goal isn't to be friends with everyone, but it's to find your own smaller group that you can be with. And, and when you are with them, that can be good and biblical in community. You can meet together with people and have it not be a Bible study, but that might still be okay for you. That, that's still small group time. That's still building community. That's still building relationships. Um, we just need to change this, this idea that community is an organized ministry because it's something much larger than that. It's who we are in between the organized ministries. So community is everyone's responsibility. It is not an organized ministry. And thirdly, it's not just this right now. This is not necessarily community. This is a gathering. It's important. I love it. You should come to it. You should prioritize it. All of those things are true. But sometimes we make the assumption that if you're here for this, all right, you're in. That's community. But this isn't necessarily community. You could come to this every single week for five years and not find community. Um... I mean, that's consistency, but it's not community. So don't just go to a church and think that you've accomplished it because you'll miss the bigness and the beauty and the complexity of the family of God and the way that it's supposed to be. Uh, you, you can even see it in the way that we're sitting right now. You are not sitting in a way that is conducive to community. You're all in rows looking at the one guy on stage. If this is our picture of community, it's going to be rough. You can't even see one another except the back of your heads, right? So this is, this is not the best way to find community. And for as much work as we put into a 75 or 80-minute service, and again, I believe that worship and the Word and prayer, all of those things are hugely important, and, and it's important, and it's good. Uh, you could almost argue that the 10 or 15 minutes before church and the 10 or 15 minutes after church could be equally as important. Because that's not when you're side-to-side -side looking ahead at someone that's when you can actually see someone face to face. That's when you can have a conversation. That's when you can shake a hand and learn a name or pray with one another or motivate one another or encourage one another as Hebrews is asking us to do. 
So I know we've, you've heard this a million times, that church isn't a place you go, but it's who you are. You are the church. We are the church. But I would challenge us to actually live that out. I, I would challenge you to show up earlier for church if you want to see community. That's one way that you can do it. Show up 10 or 15 minutes early. Shake some hands. Learn some names. I'm seeing some elbow nudges there with spouses. Show up earlier. Stay a little bit later. I know South Campus, you can't stay super later, but you can go to Starbucks. You can do something so that you can find community in a way that's just not right now in, in this picture. Um, the, the, the picture in Hebrews was that they were motivating and encouraging and loving one another. It wasn't just a service they went to, but it was the way that they were. It's the family they belonged to. And so that's going to take work. Right? This is the part of it that, I, that we all need to understand, that, this, that, that building good, authentic community is going to take sacrifice. You're going to have to put yourself out there. You're, you're going to have to be a little bit awkward sometimes. You're going to have to deal with some vulnerability. These are things that we all tend to avoid, not walk into on purpose. Um, right? and, and so we'd rather just talk to people that we know and like and get along with and say, oh, I'm good. I'm good, but what does Scripture say? Even pagans love those who love one another, right? They're doing that just fine. The calling on the church is much higher than that. It's not just that we would spend time with the people we love to spend time with. It's that we would be getting to know everyone the best we can, loving the people that we don't necessarily have things in common with, loving the people that we don't necessarily kind of are drawn to on a natural basis. The bar has been set much higher. We can't simply let our natural likes and dislikes be the determining factor in the way that we do community. That's, that's big, that's hard. But it's the way the church looked under the banner of Jesus. All kinds of people, wildly different, coming together and saying, all right, we're family. How does this look? What, what does that mean for me? I believe that God can miraculously give us community with people that we have absolutely nothing in common with. I, I believe that the family of God comes with a supernatural ability that the Holy Spirit gives us that says, I know you might not be naturally drawn to this person, but I want you to go talk to them. I, I know that you never fathomed that you would be spending time with this family or, or in this way, but here we are. Through the, through the power of God working in your life, saying, no, my community is going to look sacrificial. My community will look supernatural. It might be a little bit harder than you thought, but man, the payoff is going to be incredible when we realize and operate like we are a family. That's what it means that we would love one another the way Christ loved us. You understand that we were not irresistible to Christ, but he sacrificially came to have relationship with us, and it cost him something to have relationship with us. That's how we love one another a church finds community not in just only spending time with the people that are easy for you to spend time with, but it's in getting to know the people, serving the people, loving the people that, that you're not naturally drawn to. Who are you going out of your way on a weekly basis to meet at Crosspoint? Who are you going out of your way to say, man, I wonder if they know anyone yet. I wonder if anyone's connected with them. I, I, I wonder what their story is. I wonder how I can motivate and encourage them is if we were that church in the book of Hebrews. It is, it's the sacred mystery of the church. It's the supernatural thing that says we can love one another the way that Christ loved us. In Galatians 3.28, it says, under the banner of Christ, there's no longer male or female or Jew or Greek or slave or free, whatever. The, we're, we're just family. We're one. We're together. We're family. We're, we're that body. In other words, you are one with people that you might not even have anything in common with. 
but you're still family. That's community. We could talk about this for a long time. Um, like I said, this is the preface, uh, but this actually is, uh, we'll be talking about this throughout the year, but really we're going to be doing things to ensure that we're, we're trying to see this happen on a more tangible basis. Um, for instance, for one thing, we're not doing a gigantic small group launch this fall. There, there won't be 14 sign-up sheets in the fellowship hall that you can go sign your name up for or whatever. Um, some groups will be happening. They wanted to do that. They're going to keep rolling. It's going to be great. What, what, what I'm challenging our church to do this fall and, and maybe beyond, who knows, is instead of saying, I'll go to this small group on a weekly or biweekly basis, whatever that is, I want you to invite other people from your church into your home for a meal. I want us to eat together as a church. I want you to connect with people that you don't know all that well. I want you to connect with people that you're just starting to, to know. And I, and I want you to, to get together in your home and eat with them. That's good and biblical, and that will build community. And you only have to do it two or three times. This is not like a 16-week small group sign-up thing. But what a great way to get to know your church. That is the mandate that is on the staff this fall. No one on the staff team will be leading or hosting a small group, but we are all going to be having people into our homes so that we can have a meal with them and get to know who goes to our church. I think that that would completely start to revolutionize the way that we do community together. And I know that for some of you, it is just panic mode right now. Not going to do it. Everyone else can do it. I'm not going to do it. This is going to be so awkward. This is going to be so difficult. It's wonderful. Well, that's great. You can continue to complain about the lack of community at your church, or you can work at making it better. Okay? Preaching tonight. Um, also, one thing that we've done that we've not really talked a lot about publicly is that we've launched a care team as the church because we believe uh, that caring for one another is a pretty vital part of being a community with one another. Um, there's right now a group of 15 or 20 cross-pointers who are active in communication each week, finding out who in our community needs to be cared for, needs to be prayed with, needs a meal delivered, needs to go be visited at the hospital or at their home, whatever the case is. Um, this has been lacking at our church, and this has been our attempt to say, all right, we've got to steer the ship the right way and make sure that we're doing this well. We need to accomplish this. And uh, it's going really, really well, and my anticipation is that it's only going to grow and become more effective. Again, we don't have a person on our staff that is the care team person. This is a community effort. 500 people can care for 500 people way easier than a handful. That's the picture of Hebrews that you would get together, that you would encourage one another and go do acts of love for one another. And so a couple thoughts on this, and we'll talk about this at a later time. Uh, if you want to be on that care team, if you are naturally inclined to, to going to see people, to pray with them, to love them, whatever that is, you can fill that out on one of the serve cards that's in front of you and drop it in an offering box and we'll get in touch with you. The other part of this, and this is, this is huge, if you have a need that, that you think, man, someone at the church should know about this. Please tell us. Please tell us so that we can care for you. It's hard to care for people that we're not aware need care. Does that make sense? And how frequently it happens that I will have someone tell me, did you know so-and-so was in the hospital for three days and no one went to visit them? And that was the first I had heard about it. Right? So don't, don't assume that your church can read your mind and know what you're going through and where you are and what's happening. 
email us, call us, drop the church a line. We'll get the care team on it and there'll be a whole slew of people that will get together and make sure that we are reaching the needs of our church. Again, this is the picture of all of us doing it together and caring for one another. There's gonna be more that we're working on in the days to come as we continue to kind of get this thing the way that it should be here at the church. Um, But again, this is just no one sitting back just assuming, all right, well, do community for me. Fix community for me. This is all of us doing the work. This is all of us extending a hand, learning names, inviting people into our home, delivering meals, praying for one another. We're all participating in this. I, I so desperately want this to be one of the things that we are the most healthy at. I would love to think that a year or two down the road, instead of being a church that's known for whether it's production or worship or sermons or whatever it is, man, I would love to be a church that's known for the way that we supernaturally love one another. Can you imagine what that would look like? Man, those, that, that, that goes guys at Crosspoint are really so good at that community thing, caring for one another. Man, I, how are they doing that? I, I would way rather be known for that than almost anything else. I want us to be healthy. I, I want us to love one another, care for one another, supernaturally and sacrificially. Community is going to be so good for our connection, for our formation, for our growth, for our health. Um, But we've all got to do our part. And as we continue to talk about this, you'll continue to find out more ways to be a part of this. But But it'll start. Don't just wait for us to talk about it. Just start. Meet some people tonight. Learn some names. Figure out who goes to your church, how you can pray for them, how you can serve them, how you can love them. So the way we're going to close today is that we're going to do communion together as a church. Uh, Communion uh, is such a perfect picture that we are all, even though wildly different, we are all one together as a family under the body of Jesus Christ. And that we would do communion with one another, that we would share in this together, that this would be an act that would bring us together. And so we're going to share in communion. And uh, we read this in the book of Luke. The Last Supper, it says, Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took a cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice to you. Drink it and remember me. And so we're gonna share in this together. And, and this is an act where this brings our church together. You, you've got to remember that, especially back then, there were certain times, and the Bible speaks quite strongly about this, that some churches were not letting some people take communion because of this or that, because of their, their age or their race or whatever it was. And, and, and Paul spoke really strongly, and he said, if, if you're using communion to divide people, then the punishment will be severe. In other words, communion was a picture of, of unity, It was a picture of family. It was a picture of, even though we are different, this is the thing that we do together. This is what we believe together. This is how we act together. So so communion is much more than your individual moment with Jesus right now, but it's a picture of you doing this together with your family and with your community. And so the band is gonna launch into a song in South Campus. You'll do something a little bit different with you guys. Um, But as the band sings, you'll be invited to come up to the table on either side and take some of the bread and dip it in the cup and then you can go back to your seat 
and, and you can take communion together. Um, if you want to take communion with someone beside you, you can do that. You can pray for the person beside you. You can ask them if there's anything they need prayer for. You, you can make sure that no one's alone as they do communion together today. But make this something that is a unifying act, not just completely an individual act. And may God bless our church as we grow together as a family, as a community. May we look like that picture of the church in Hebrews. Amen.